my God. Welcome back to Unemployed with Anna Roisman. It's Anna Roisman. Hello. I'm semi-employed, but I'll do this podcast no matter what because I am here for the unemployed adults in the world. And uh, oh my God, Ellen's here. What's up, Ellen? Hey, Anna. Nice to see you again. Doesn't it feel like we're together? It does a little bit. Yeah. I mean... I love seeing the inside of your apartment. Thank it looks you. good. Clean. <laughs> yeah. I love seeing your tie-dye. I was noticing your tie-dye. And mm. as you know, I I've uh I've been rebranding, you know, in quarantine as as a as a tie-dye queen. Yes, now. you've been um you've been hustling, as they say these days. Yeah. I it's funny because I was really tempted to buy myself like 14 different tie-dye sweatsuits when the, the pandemic first hit because I thought, well, if I'm never going to leave my house again, I want to look I want to look good but be comfortable and they're all like $200, $300 online and I was like, "Oh my god, I guess I can't get 14 of them. Maybe I'll get one because I have no money to do that." And then I was like, "What if I could make them? I'm artistic." And what do you know? Yeah, I was surprised at how much tie-dye goes for actually because when tie-dye was first you know blossoming the trend during quarantine I was like oh this is like great I want to do this too looked into some tie-dye clothes and that's so much money expensive I know you know why though the labor it really does take a while to do it is like a very lengthy process having now that I know uh since I I did some tie-dyeing myself at home I can say now I can only uh, yeah I can only do like 10 sweatshirts at a time because like I have ruined multiple counters in my home our table outside like everything has either dye or bleach stains on it and like Jared's like, find a new hobby. <laughs> yeah, I was using a red dye uh, for a while, t- making some like red tie-dye shirts and hanging them in my a shower and it looked like sure, I that had murdered like, someone. I was going to say, yeah, either psycho or like Ellen always has her period. <laughs> yeah. And then nobody uh, can use the shower while, while anything's <laughs> hanging in there either. It's like... I've taken over. But everyone check out Anna's tie-dye wares. Oh, yeah. And if you DM me, maybe you'll get on the list for the next one. It's The company has been birthed. It's called Anna Died. Anna That's Died. <laughs> Straight, you know, right to the point. I like it. I probably shouldn't have done, you know, such a, such a dark pun in a pandemic. Yeah. But hey, <laughs> it's the first thing that fucking came to mind and I rolled with it. Um, so Ellen came up with a really creative idea. That's why I fully employed her to be a part of this podcast for tons of money and a big salary and insurance benefits. Um, we, we might watch movies cause we're in quarantine and like, we're not really doing all that much. We might watch movies about getting fired. Yeah. Right. I have the plan. Yes. I've actually watched 121 movies this I know, year. You- as soon as um, quarantine went into effect, we all just everyone I live with decided like we're going to watch a movie every night, and we pretty much did that and all through like I think June. So wow. I'm at 121 right now. So anyway, Congrats. I thought it would be fun if we, you, you and I, <laughs> started a unemployed movie uh, club. That would be so cool. And people, if you if you're into this, you can also suggest movies for us to watch that are about getting fired or unemployment, um, and then we'll all talk about it. 
It'll be great. It'll be bonus episodes. Yeah. So are you excited about today's guest? I'm this so is- excited. This one's the I'm freaking one out. for the books. Yeah. One for the books. This is like he's the king of podcasting. I'm really, really excited to have him on the show. Um, I don't know. You may know him from a little podcast, a little podcast, like the ultimate podcast, Doug Loves Movies, or Getting Doug with High, or Wide World of Dugs, or Super High Me. And you know what I'm gonna say? Former HQ After Dark guest host. Oh shit. Guys, we've got Doug Benson on the show today. Hi. Hey, uh, yeah, I was uh, very excited to be uh, on HQ After Dark, and then, uh, you know, this pandemic happened, so I I feel like I got fired from uh, HQ After Dark. <laughs> I'm really sorry. You know, I did too, so, yeah, <laughs> so <right>? did Ellen. <laughs> we, all, we all lost that gig, but it was meant a lot more to you two than it did to me. <laughs> oh, it was so fun, but you have been such, you've been an HQD, I should say, you've been an HQ diehard fan from... When the start? Like, um, no, not from jump. I it took me a while to catch on because, like, with all things, uh, you know, internet and gaming and all that kind of stuff. Like, I, I sometimes I'm a little slow to notice. And uh, in this case, uh, comedian Nick Swartzen was obsessed with HQ and 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 played every night. And uh, so when I was in, uh, he kept telling me about it. And then mm-hmm. when we were in Montreal together, he would just sit at the bar in the hotel during happy hour and, uh, you know, or, or whatever time of night it was, <laughs> and he'd play HQ. So I started playing, you know, next to him, mm-hmm. and, then, and then it was over. Now I play, you know, every, especially once I introduced my girlfriend to it, uh, now it's just a nightly, nightly ritual. And I even have, like, just now I had a, okay, it's still a few hours away. Like, I had that panic moment of, like, because every once in a while, it'd be like 6.10, and we go, oh, shit, we missed it, you know? <laughs> Do you not get the notifications that they... Uh... Oh, yeah, we get the notifications. <laughs> There's like 10 per game. There's like a 10-minute warning, and then a uh, where the hell are you when it's time to start. But, they, you know, I love the where the hell are you, because you get that whether you're there or not. Yeah, I do love that. And I appreciate you both playing every night. I do sometimes get a message from Alicia, and, you, and I'm like, oh, yeah, they're playing right now. Yeah, yeah, there was real. I was really excited the other night when uh, when you got the name of the guy in Ghostbusters wrong. Yeah, uh, you know, I gotta be honest. I've seen Ghostbusters, I, maybe half, maybe half of it, and uh, and I had no idea. I just wanted to make sure I pronounced it right, which I did for the wrong spelling. Yeah, that's the thing. That's where it gets <laughs> uh, that gets tricky because I knew as soon as I saw that they that it was spelled wrong that well, you're you know. I, I don't. And we should ask Matt if he would have uh, if he would have pronounced it correctly. Because if you're a huge Ghostbuster fan, Zedmore sounds weird, you know, because you hear it a bunch of times in the movie, and it's definitely Zedmore. Right. But I even ran to IMDb when you said it and went, <laughs> "I got to make sure," because that's you know I wasn't absolutely sure. But I, you know, that's that's the nerd in me that's so excited to catch something like that and be a you know you're my friend and I'm like reply guying you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was really out. funny though. I literally ended the show and I like looked down and Doug's like, "Hey, you had a typo and also there was a glitch on Q10 and I was like, wow. I think you should take this up with the the you know, executives here at HQ." <laughs> yeah, I got to get I got to go higher than you to complain about this stuff. <laughs> Do you have a flower in your drink? Uh-huh. Wow. Stop and a fancy a beverage with an umbrella and a flower. Shit, I gotta move to LA. <laughs> and a little, 
little tequila in there. That's a beautiful uh, cocktail. I mean, nice. how can you hate quarantine when you're drinking like poolside like that? Yeah, they just, you know, I get, it's the weirdest things have come out of this quarantine or, or lockdown or whatever you want to call it. Um, and one of them for me is that as a, a guy who loves movies and has a movie podcast and is a little bit of an influencer in that world, uh, they're just sending me just like the movie... Uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Palm Springs. Yeah. The the Hulu movie. Uh, just to get me to, you know, help promote the movie, they sent me a ton of, they sent me burritos and a bunch of, a cooler full of beers and a one of those pizza floaties that they float on in no the movie. No way. Yeah. And, uh, and it just all these different TV shows and movies <laughs> are now sending out these, instead of having a premiere, right. they send out an, they send out a link to see the movie. And then they send you uh, a bunch of party stuff, like, so you could just sit at home like a weirdo and, uh, you know, make tropical drinks like this and uh, pretend, pretend you're at a party. <laughs> that's amazing. That's pretty, yeah, I need to yeah. get it. I need to get into influencing movies because I, that sounds right. Like well, that's the thing. You're hosting HQ on movie night, so they I should know. be all over you because you could slip in, you know, you could mention their movie. Uh, that would be, I could. Between questions and HQ wouldn't even know. Right, I just hold up that cocktail and I'm like, thank you Palm Springs for my tequila and back to the game. <laughs> do you watch, um, I'm sure you don't, do you watch Snowpiercer on uh, TNT? No, LNU. Yeah, it's a series based on the movie. And this is the fancy glass they sent me. <laughs> that, that letter W, that's the name of the rich uh, Wilfred's the company, corporation in the show Snowpiercer. Got it. They're the rich corporation, so they sent me these fancy glasses with their uh with their logo on i guess i could just say this is a westworld glass and people would fall for it they would i would because the w I... is very <laughs> westworld these days i love it i i really do love that they're sending you all this all this stuff i think that's comforting you know to, to feel like you're at the premiere <laughs> yeah it's uh you know they uh... The thing they also don't know is they send like a link to a virtual Q&A that they do with the cast. And half the time I'm like, no, I'm good. <laughs> I'll just post on my socials the pictures of the stuff you sent me. <laughs> I did. I used to do this job or this job. I had this theater company would send me to some Broadway shows and off-Broadway shows as long as I would like post about it on Instagram, like influence it and post about yeah. it on Twitter. And I was like, this is a good gig because I would love to see any theater. And then as soon as quarantine happened, I got a link and they were like, hey, so the show's not going to happen. But uh, <laughs> if you want to, they're doing a reading of it on Zoom. And I was like, I don't, I'm OK. I don't need <laughs> I don't need to listen to the play on Zoom. <laughs> yeah, the, the world of theater has been really sad because I love I know. You know, musicals and plays. And I, I, every time I'm in New York, I go see a ton of shows. I know I was, when you were in New York, when I saw you, I was so jealous. Your schedule, you guys had like matinee and oh, evening. Yeah. It's stupid. I just, that's, it's one of the few things that I like to, that I don't mind spending money on is a good seat and a, you know, potentially good show. And, yeah. uh, but I finally got to the point where I was in enough with the theater company through donations and just being a swell guy <laughs> that I was going to get to go in April. I was going to go to two Broadway show premieres. What? Of what? Yeah. Of a show called Caroline or Change. Oh. Yeah. Reboot. 
I saw the OG. It, oh, yeah, me too. Amazing the best. Show. Amazing yeah. Show. And then, um, and then a new play starring Deborah Messing called Birthday Candles. Oh my God. And I was so excited to be going to a Broadway premiere. You know, I'd never been to opening night of a Broadway yeah. show. I had two of them scheduled for one month and that month, boom, everything Ugh. crashed down on theater. Yeah. So, uh, you know, at this point I'm just waiting, but in the meantime, like musical theater performers can put on a pretty good show still over the uh, internet. Yeah. But I'm not gonna watch a play on the internet. I'm no, sorry. I felt the same I'm way. I'm not gonna do it. It's that lot, it's that happening right in front of you that really makes a play yeah. compelling. Yeah, I was bummed about the Tony Awards. Like I really yeah. love, I look forward to them every year and I'm like, there's no way they're gonna do this over Zoom. Did they even do it? I don't think they did it. And no, because just, the, the Broadway season didn't happen. So right. there was nothing to, you know, they, they yeah. couldn't do awards. So like, uh, they're in a real holding pattern. Uh, and I, I, I'm just, it, it, it sucks that, you know, it's, what's happening in this country is, you know, no, no, no fault of the world of theater. And yet it seems to be of all of, the, of everything, it's going to be the slowest to return. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this brings us to being unemployed, which mm -hmm. sucks. I have a lot of theater friends and on this pod, I like to dive back into the history. I want to know, like before you were famous, Doug Benson, who I know today, uh, you know, s sipping on fancy cocktails. I wanted to know what was like the first job you ever had? Like, did you always know you wanted to work in entertainment when you were a kid? No, I mean, I, I did like movies and TV to the, to, you know, a maddening degree as far as from my parents' <laughs> perspective, because I didn't have the strictest parents. And so I just sort of took advantage of it. And, uh, me too. I think the reason I'm in comedy is because I, I stayed up late and watched David Letterman when he had the 1230 show. Uh, my parents would let me watch that. You know, that was back when, you know, most kids in school were, were staying up late and watching the talk shows, you know. Yeah, uh, we watched Sex in the City every Sunday night as a family, <laughs> which should not be allowed. That's horrifying. I always tell people, I was like, yeah, like Samantha would get a, would be getting like fucked in the ass. And my dad's like, you kids have any more homework for tomorrow? <laughs> We're like, well, yeah. this doesn't match up. <laughs> I've seen, I've, I've seen a couple of clips of old episodes and not like anybody's pointing at Sex and the City as being problematic, but man, those ladies threw around some things in their conversations, especially Samantha. <laughs> Samantha said some shit that would get her canceled for sure. Yes, definitely. <laughs> so you're watching Letterman as a young kid and you were yeah, like, yeah. I, yeah. I want to well, do that? So I, I knew that I like, wanted to be in show business and I lived in San Diego. So uh, the, the dream very early on became, I'm going to move to Los Angeles and become a part of that. I'm going to mm -hmm. be part of that world. That was the plan. Didn't know how I was going to do it. So in San Diego during high school and college, especially in college, I just had really random ass uh, jobs just you know I like when I was going to junior college I was working three jobs uh, what were your what, three jobs what's that what were they uh, phone sales you're uh, <laughs> running a liquor store basically being the clerk in a liquor store during uh, morning hours on Saturday and Sunday so that the old couple that owned and operated the store could have uh, weekend mornings together okay and you weren't even 21 right uh, you, no, you, you, could were... sell, you could sell alcohol in a liquor store to people when you weren't even 21. It's the weirdest thing. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, when I got there, I, I think I still worked there after I was 21. 
And then um, uh, I'm just alone in a liquor store and like 19, 20 years old. It's a weird, it was the weirdest thing. And, Did uh, you ever drink? No, no, no. I wasn't. Good. Yeah, I wasn't. I, you know, I, I ate plenty of their candy bars without mentioning it. And um, they were so nice. Like they were just like, yeah, if you feel like, you know, eating anything, don't worry about it. It's uh, <laughs> good they got you because I bet other kids would be like, oh man, I'm going to drink this whole bottle of tequila. <laughs> going to never. Yeah, you know. never even dawned on me really to get <laughs> because I worked from, you know, my shift was from uh, 6 a.m. to noon on Saturday yeah, and little- Sunday. And one year, one year, New Year's Eve fell on that weekend that I was working there. So I was like, <laughs> the night before, I was like, well, good night, everybody. I have to be in a liquor store at seven in the morning. Um, so, yeah, okay, so those, that's two of the jobs. And then the third job was um, uh, I, I got a job at a movie theater, but very, just very quickly worked my way up to working in the box office because, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't a multiplex. So you had, you had like two hours of not selling tickets while each movie played to just sit there. And uh, in my case, I did all my studying sitting in the uh, fishbowl box office at the mall uh, movie theater. Nice. <laughs> or actually, it was three screens. There was three screens. So there was, especially, you know, on a weekday, there was a lot of downtime. There, you know, there wasn't a lot of uh, business. Uh, did you get free but, movies too? Were you allowed to just see anything? Oh, yeah. I mean, you could just go in and watch and like, you know, the... Um, the go-to snack for people who work in a movie theater is they count the popcorn buckets. They keep track of those. So you can't, can't get free popcorn in a bucket because they, they'll be like, where'd that bucket go? But uh, if you just take the, uh, <laughs> the box that people use to put their drinks and nachos in, you know, with the slots and stuff, yeah. if you just take that box and fill it with popcorn. So that's what you do on your break. You fill it with popcorn and go in the theater and watch, in my case, I, I uh, tended to watch either 15 minutes of Purple Rain or uh, Footloose. Wow, nice. good choices. Yeah. Really can't go wrong with either. Yeah, those are both movies. I, that's the thing, I, I always like musicals, but I discovered that musicals are the most fun to work in a movie theater and they're playing them because you can just walk in and watch any part. Like it does it, once you've seen the whole movie, just, you can just go in and watch while you're, you know, we got time to kill, you can just go watch yeah. it a little bit. You're like, I love that reprise of that act one song. You know, it comes on around 4.50 p.m. Like, <laughs> you know, the whole schedule. Yeah, so uh, so that was a, you know, I was working a lot of jobs, but I was also very focused at that point on raising enough money to move to Los Angeles because I wasn't going to, wasn't making the, I didn't make the grades in high school to ever really get into a good college without having to, uh be stuck with the crippling debt that I've spent my entire adult life watching other people have, and I have never had it because I did not go to college. Wow, I've never heard of debt. Um, <laughs> that's a lie. That's a lie. <laughs> I get I get things every day in the mail, and I think, oh my god, it, it's a check, and then it's like, no, it's another random company in the country helping me to figure out my debt. Um, so congrats. They love, they love to help. There's all they, these places that want to help you with your debt. You know, a reverse mortgage isn't a loan. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. So you saved money, you moved to LA. Yeah, I saved up what I thought was enough money to go to Los Angeles (laughs) and damn. uh, Was it enough? No, I I just got very lucky that, you know, circumstances allowed me to, you know, just sort of keep stretching. Like 
it took a long time before I was, you know, financially uh, solvent. But um, the very first thing that happened, though, was that I followed friends from San Diego. Like I had several high school friends that, you know, from the the, uh, the drama department and the drama club <laughs> that, you know, had a similar path. Their goal was to get go to LA and start getting show business. Yeah. And you can call them nerds. We're all theater nerds. Yeah. Yeah. And in different areas, you know, like they, they were, their disciplines were different. They didn't just want to be actors or, or uh, writers like I wanted to be. So mm-hmm. it really worked out great that I was able to, I, I had a circle of friends pretty quickly in Los Angeles that were That's great. a support system and able to get, you know, various uh, ideas for jobs and stuff from. That's cool. Yeah. So that was nice. And, uh, but then flopped on the uh, uh, a futon in the living room of, uh, with two other dudes lived in the apartment. They each had their own bedrooms. And, uh, mm-hmm. So that and like at this point, were you trying to act or were you going to just do stand up? No, stand up hadn't even entered the picture. No. I moved to LA in the fall of uh, 1984, um, immediately following the uh, Summer Olympics. Oh, because, cool. Because I thought sitting at home in LA that summer, well, that's going to suck. The Olympics is just going to be a mess. But then right after the Olympics, things are probably going to be super chill. So that was my, you know, that was my target date. So I moved in September and didn't start doing stand-up comedy until January. <laughs> it took that long for me to find stand-up comedy <laughs> in, in, in Los Angeles. Uh, did you, what, I'm curious, like, were you, were you like, did you see a show and you're like, I could do that? I saw, I, I watched stand-up comics. Like, the comics were my favorite part on, like, other than David Letterman themselves, the comedians mm-hmm. that were on there. And he had such an eclectic, he had all the weirdest and funniest comics, you know, like, like I just really got hooked on, like, Stephen Wright and Pee Wee Herman and Seinfeld and, you know, just all, and he also, back in those days, they had like prop comics, you know, like Howie Mandel was a prop comic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now he's a reality yeah. star. <laughs> but, you know, he was a very clever prop comic because he had his props in a bag that was shaped like a hand. So that's also a, a, a joke. He got wow. to say, this is my handbag before he started taking items out of it. <laughs> a lot of prop comics just have a big box. that's not a joke in and of itself. So he was really... Uh, innovator he's one of those guys i'll hear stuff that they're like oh yeah howie mandel did that i'm like he's lived like 10 lives like the amount of jobs and weird gigs he's done i'm like what what howie if you have a chance find his look that he had right before he decided to go ahead and shave it off and be a bald guy okay because it (laughs) it was this weird dark curly hair i assume toupee and um (laughs) I'm looking at it right now. It's amazing. <laughs> and this and this handbag is actually like pretty awesome. Like I would totally rock one of these handbags. Oh, you went way back. You went back to like, because the handbag, doesn't it kind of look like a, uh, it looks like Mickey Mouse's hand or something. It's like white. Yeah, it's like big, white glove-ish sort of yeah, look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love how I typed it in and it went to a Madewell handbag. Yeah. <laughs> I typed in something wrong or my internet knows me too well. Uh. I think that, uh, yeah, I think that that's much further back. His hair might've been real back then, but then 
But there was a period where he had a daytime talk show. Um, yeah. See? Another and gig. He, and the way he dressed was he clearly really liked how Prince dressed. Like he had very, he wore purple a lot and uh, just very slick clothing. But I feel like seeing a picture of him now would be pretty funny. I'm shocked that America's Got Talent hasn't teased him with it or something uh, yeah. at some point. Um, That's really funny. Anyway, uh, so I digressed, I guess. <laughs> I love it. Now I'm going to have to go just look up the, the history of Howie Mandel's looks over the years. Yeah, I feel like there's so much I don't know about him now. I, I have to like do a whole deep dive into <laughs> Howie Mandel after this. <laughs> it's funny because you know that they recorded all those episodes of America's Got Talent like before this because I couldn't imagine him showing up like to do it you know oh what I mean? no like, he's um you know they did what they did judges cuts last week which is a show they normally do with a big audience and the performers but instead they just had the performers all in their own homes yes. in their own worlds and i saw some of that heidi and howie and simon all sat uh, outside apart from each other so howie was like how he kept saying, this is great. We should do all TV like this. You know, like, <laughs> like, I love not being near anybody else. And I love that there's no audience, you know, like he was super into it. Yeah, this is his thing. That's so funny. Yeah. I love it. They're, they're just trudging forward, trying to trying to do it. And, um, but I, my point, the reason I brought up Harry Mandel is just that I, li I liked a lot of stand-up comedy on TV without knowing that that's what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And then after a few years of li living in, a few months of living in Los Angeles, my LA friends all started saying, well, you should be, you should try stand-up, you know? They, they thought I was funny enough for that. And I'm like, I can't, I, you know, the people I admired at that time, like one of my favorite comics was Paula Poundstone. I felt like she was just a genius who just, you know, could not not, you know, could not not be funny. Whereas I'm a guy who has no, you know, you know how it is. When you haven't done stand-up yet, it sure. feels impossible. It feels like, right. how, how do you do that, you know? So it always, yeah, I, I know how you feel. <laughs> yeah, so, so two friends, two of my friends, like who, and you know, to this day, I'm quite grateful they did it, but at the time it was a total dick move. Because uh, two of my friends are like, let's all go sign up for potluck night at the comedy store. So, <laughs> and I thought, oh, you guys are being so supportive. And then one of them showed up too late to sign up and the other one didn't show up at all. And what? I, and I went on stage that night. The very first time I signed up for potluck at the comedy store in LA, I went on stage. Which and they also, bailed. Which also doesn't always happen. You you know usually you you know you have to try a bunch of times before they get up. And um, so I was you know there was no turn. How to go? I had to do it, and I was a I did props. It was all props. <laughs> I love it. But, That's great. But, did it kill? But just three minutes. So it was a duffel bag full of as many props as I could get in in three minutes. <laughs> and uh, there was even there was even audio playback. I even had an audio cue that I had to ask them to do. Wow. Yeah, that's which they did, which I'm kind of surprised. Maybe that was you really play. came prepared. That might have been my second performance. <laughs> that seems like that doesn't seem possible to go to potluck and I can go. I've got sound cues. Yeah, but, uh, carrying your duffel bag. They're like, you know, you get three minutes, dude, like, and you're like, a weirdo. And they were big. Nah. They were really <laughs> so. I just held up several big things and made jokes about them and, but got laughs. And so I was, that was it. I was, that's when I became a professional comedian was when I was convinced that I could do it. And then of course, then there's years of, you know, failed, you know, that not only bad sets, but just bad sets in places where 
you know, you're not, you're not making any money. You're not, you know, you're not doing anything. But, you know, it took me a yeah. long time because of having to have other jobs in LA while I was an open micer, I would perform way too rarely. And so it took me five or six years before I really actually started getting paid to do stand up. I always say that, like, because I used to work in restaurants and it it sucked when I had to, if I had a show and I had to take off that shift at night and I was like, oh my God, I don't make any money tonight to do 10 minutes, five minutes on a show. Like, is it actually worth it? And then when I was stand, doing stand-up more, I was like, oh, I'm just going to not work at night. I'm going to find somewhere to work in the day. And yeah, that's the tricky night. thing is that like, you know, you're, you're kind of the most lucrative and, uh, you know, doable jobs uh, for people without, a, you know, a degree in anything <laughs> or who are, don't want to pursue that particular degree, uh, you know, a, being a waiter or a waitress is like, it's something I never did. And every once in a while, somebody will tweet something like, if you've never been a waiter or waitress, you're an asshole or something, you know, or you need to do it at least once. And I'm like, no, I know I would be terrible at it. And I appreciate <laughs> people that do it. <laughs> I do think if everyone did it for like a month, like people would treat people better. Have a different attitude about it. Sure. Yeah. You know, but, but also when it comes down to it, the problem with uh, being a waiter or waitress is you have to serve people who have low blood sugar because they're waiting for food. Right. So they're going to be dicks. It's going to happen, you know, and hopefully they make it up on the back end with a good tip. Yeah. There, so what were you doing in these years while you were doing stand-up and well, having to do other where, jobs? That's where it gets harder for me to do stand-up because I threw myself into the world of being an extra. In oh, movies. I know this. I've heard you talk about this on your podcast before. Yes, yeah. Nice. Which so, is an insane thing to do. I mean, it's fun, but it's... Well, Very was, unknown hours. That was well. That was my job. You know, later became that with uh, getting trying to get stand up comedy spots in in clubs around town and stuff. But my job for a while was every day you'd meet other extras and you'd get phone numbers of non union extra companies because I wasn't I was never a union extra. It's amazing how many movies and TV shows I was in without ever being uh, in the union, and because uh, there were there were union extras at the time, which is what. Silly me, that's what I was aspiring to be, was trying to figure out how to be a union expert, you know? <laughs> and their chest was much bigger for basically the same kind of work of just sitting around all day. I love how it went from like, I'm moving to LA to be a movie star to, man, I'm going to be that union extra on, on set. Well, yeah, and that's, but that's the other thing that, you know, Every extra on the set is either like kind of an older person who just is doing it as a lark to make some money and because they just sit around all day anyway, <laughs> or it's young actors who are all like, you know, naive and thinking, oh, if I'm an extra in this movie, who knows? I could, you know, by the time they're finished shooting, I could, uh, I could be the lead. So yeah. it's, <laughs> you know, so I was always up to, sh you know, shenanigans and stuff to try <laughs> to get to try to get dialogue, you know, to try to get a, a, you know, a scene where I get to speak because once you speak, then they had to pay you SAG minimum. And yeah. the, the, the phrase thrown around by extras all the time was we wanted to get Taft-Hartley because there's yeah. Taft-Hartley law <laughs> that apparently applies to show business. And it's like, you have to work to get paid and you can't uh, get paid unless you work. I mean, it's this weird union thing. Yeah. And so on a movie set or a TV show set, you had a chance of being Taft Hartley because every once in a while 
they'd just be like, F it. We, we need somebody to say something here. We'll have this extra say it. We'll have to pay the fine for, uh, the, for putting him in the union. And we yeah. have to tell the union that it was necessary, that we had no other choice <laughs> but to use this. That happened to a lot of people. I had friends who were Taft-Hartley all the time. It, it was happened a bizarre. lot more on the East Coast. Oh. I'll tell you that. Because uh, <laughs> there was a lot more, like, TV production where, you know, like, Law and Order shows where, mm-hmm. like, somebody has to say, we played not guilty. Or, you know, we, we find the defendant not guilty you know like they realized that day oh shit we need some we need a juror to speak (laughs) you know that kind of thing so uh um did you do anything did you ever get a line were you ever bumped well that's that's the thing is i eventually uh managed to get into sag two two different ways (laughs) at at the same time because i had a case build up that they just were like fuck it you could be in sag (laughs) 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 because because Watch it be I like, knew, I coughed. I knew that shows, shows couldn't have the extras. If there, was, if there were five extras or less, it wasn't considered a group anymore. Because, you know, in movies like Rudy or something, you know, when all the extras are cheering, yeah. Rudy, Rudy, they're talking and, and their, their voices are being recorded, but they can't get into SAG for that because <laughs> there's so many, you know, because it's a there's, group. It's a group, yeah. But I knew because I was, you know, spending my days just thinking about how am I going to get into SAG. So <laughs> I knew that uh, if, this, if it were a, a smaller group of people, I think if it was like seven or less people, then you, uh, it would count as dialogue if, you're, if your voice is heard. Even if, you're, wow. even if you're all saying the same thing. So I was on a show where they had uh, like six of us sing happy birthday. So actually, we sang the Beatles' birthday song. They they say it's your birthday. So what show? <laughs> just to show it was. I'm gonna go watch it. We were only singing to Sybil Shepherd and Bruce Willis on Moonlighting. <laughs> what? Yeah. Wait, that's amazing. Yeah. So you're well, one of seven. You're like, hey, we're the Von Traps so now. Like, now you I'm gotta like, pay us. I'm like, hey, Sag. Um, <laughs> moonlighting. Let me, you know, sing. And then, but an even bigger, an even bigger thing that happened was there's a movie called Secret Admirer. And I was in this, I was sitting in a scene where uh, one of the characters is, I don't remember that actor's name, but he's mad because he thinks his girlfriend is cheating on him. And Lori Laughlin from Full House, she's the actress who tells him that. So Lori Laughlin and this guy are up at Lover's Lane, like up, uh, you know, by the conservatory here in, uh, mm-hmm. or the observatory here in uh, LA. Griffith. You know, yeah. Griffith Park, you know, so there's that beautiful view. So we're out there all night in the wintertime, freezing our asses off, make, you know, making a scene. And um, uh, <laughs> he goes around to different cars, opening the door, grabbing the person inside the car, and then shoving them back in when he realizes it's not the guy he thinks is, he's looking for that's making out with his girlfriend. So, so I, I do the scene. I get pulled out of the car, get shoved back in. Fine, great. You know, he says something to me like, hey, you're not him or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I go see the movie when it opens. And... Uh, when I get pulled out of the car, they dubbed in, they got a voice actor to go, hey, what are you doing? Or, you know, <gasps> hey. And, uh, no. Yeah. No. Yeah. So, 
and, and SAG doesn't allow that. They don't allow you to use an extra and then put a voice on them later. So between those two things, that's, that's how I got into SAG. Oh my God. I can't believe they put a voice over it. Yeah. And that's I can't crazy. believe it. a lot of people study acting for years, but I got in uh, using loopholes. You got in not with your own voice. <laughs> Do you know how I got in? It was actually, uh, I, my line was, was cut. My, my, I had like two lines on Gossip Girl. <gasps> I, played a, I played a prostitute. Uh, I was very young. I don't know what they saw in me. And I, but I was the morning after girl. So I wasn't like, you know, I, I wasn't like a, I was a dancer. I wasn't like at the club. I was the girl who went home with, with uh, Chuck. <laughs> Woke up. <laughs> I guess I didn't watch the show. That was the best part. I didn't even know anything about it, but I was there all day and they had amazing hummus and, and, you know, great food on set. And I had to wear like nothing and I had to collect my things. And then the one line is Leighton Meester comes in the room and she's like, is that pole dancer wearing my agent provocateur corset? And I had to look at her and I had to be like, no, it's mine. (laughs) (laughs) And leave. We both have the same couture item. And I was like, no, it's mine. I don't know if the line's in it or not, but it was just me and them. And I was the dancer. And there you go. I got my SAG card. The worst was I watched that episode. I'd never watched it before, but I was like, I guess I'll watch the episode I'm in, you know, see my big Gossip Girl debut. And this girl from my hometown who I did theater with was like the lead guest star, but I never knew she was in the episode because she shot on other days. And I was like, oh, fuck, I can't even brag about this. Like, this girl's the whole, the whole episode. <laughs> but then I owed a lot of money to SAG for some reason. Right, that's the thing. They get you with uh, all their uh, initial fees are more than what you usually make that first time. Yeah. That's the other thing is you just have to, you know, take that hit and move on. Right. And You're like, but now I'm a union actor, even though I'm more poor than before I did this job. Yeah. And so, so that's what I did for uh, uh, for the first uh, six or eight months. Was like, I'm 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 in it like. 50 or more movies and TV shows that I can name because I just... What's like uh, the most famous one that you like, that you didn't know at the time or like afterwards you're like, wow. Well, well, the very first time I was an extra was in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Really? That was the first time? Yeah, and I could see myself in it. So like when it came out a few months later, I was already like, oh, this is working. <laughs> I'm in movies now. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you have to rewatch it for a Doug watch it's, on it. At the very end. And, um, you know, I've exploited it occasionally by, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I do, you know, shows in movie theaters sometimes. So I'll, uh, you know, bring the, bring the clip. Show it. Show it off. That's pretty cool. Yeah, because it's, it's real silly. I'm like, I'm smoking a cigarette and acting, like trying to act cool because, <laughs> The idea is it's supposed to be teenagers at the mall and, you know, and I was still a teenager, but, you know, I was coming out of teenage years, but still I had never, never picked up cigarette smoking and they pay you, they would give you, you know, another thing I learned early on is you get bumps for for your own wardrobe for smoking cigarettes. So like anytime there was a cigarette bump, I'd smoke a cigarette and I never, uh, never took it up. I've never become a cigarette smoker, so. Me neither. (laughs) (laughs) I once got a bump. I was an extra on a, what was the show they shot in the Hamptons? It was with Matthew Bomer. Um, 
it was like on TNT or TBS. Oh, uh, suits. No, it wasn't suits. But Ellen, you're like going to find it for me. But I, they needed, they needed a tennis player. And they were like, you'll get paid good money if you can play tennis on this TV show they're shooting. And I was like, okay. Is it <laughs> I'll do white collar? Yes, white oh, collar. Yeah. White collar. Yeah, I never watched it, but I got a nice well, that's bump. A, that's a white collar crime right there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know, right? Um, so you were in 50 movies in eight months. That's insane. That's take, a lot. Take. And, and, and I, moved lot. On, I moved on pretty early on in the process into, um, into being a stand-in uh, for actors. That's cool. And, uh, and that, that, that started out on uh, Moonlighting. I started doing a lot of, uh, the, you know, different guest actors would come in and I'd be their, their stand-in. Uh, and uh, so I was, on, I was on the set of that show a lot. So that's why I brought that up in the first place. Is because I'd be, you know, I'd be sitting playing cards with the other extras on the in the soundstage at 20th Century Fox at like 10 o'clock at night while Bruce Willis and uh, Sybil Shepherd refused to come out of their trailers. And I'm like, oh, I've got a spot over at Igby's. Oh, no. yeah. <laughs> you know? That's hard. And they never want to they never want to let you go if uh, it's going to fuck up their day when you, you know, when you're. Uh, you know, the continuity's off because one of the extras is missing from the scene. Yeah. Oh my God. That's so funny. I, yeah, my, on my extra time, there was someone I did CSI New York and the actress on it one, I remember the whole set was there and she was like, they were like cut. And she was like, that's all I got guys. I have to pick up my kid from soccer. And the whole crew just like broke down. And I was like, fuck, that's the level I want to get to when I can just be like, yeah, I don't have time for any more. Um, that's good luck. That was very <laughs> impressive. That's a, that's a hard thing to pull off. It was crazy. You gotta be so, the director, I think. Like like Clint Eastwood, you know, he, only, <laughs> he never does more than two takes. Can you imagine? Like, never. He never does a third take. That's true. Yeah, so he hires great actors, so some of the acting in his movies is great, and then other people in his movies suck because they only got two takes. Wow. Why? Has he ever explained why? Moving I mean, on, you know, just he, he works like five hours a day, Wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous. I don't know why he gets to keep making movies. <laughs> wow, I didn't know that about him. That's fascinating. I mean, now he's really old, so it makes sense. But for years now, he's been like, just get the actors that can do the job, have, maybe have a rehearsal, I guess, and then two takes and I'm good. Two takes Eastwood. Two takes out, Eastwood. Out the door, yeah. And I feel like, I don't, I don't know. His movies, the last few haven't been that tight. Mm. I I don't I don't remember the last Clint Eastwood movie I saw. The last good one was Unforgiven. Never saw it. That was in the eighties, I think. <laughs> I was gonna say Million Dollar Baby. He did that, right? I'm really going harsh on Clint. Yeah, he did Million Dollar Baby. That was good too. It's all right. I don't know if he listens to the podcast. He might listen to your podcast, but not. I definitely not mine. He certainly yes. has never been a person that can relate to the unemployed. No, probably not. He's been pretty He's... damn employed ever since he. Agreed to do a spaghetti western. <laughs> so after this, you're making money doing stand up, and I want to know, like, because I look to you as one of the, like, you cracked the code for yourself. I feel like, I mean, in Hollywood, I think we're always, you know, trying to find what is our groove. What am I going to do? What's going to make me successful? And you, 
you found weed and you found comedy and you combined it and made this like empire. Well, yeah, that's the comedy came way early. Like I didn't find weed, which is strange because like as a kid, I owned Cheech and Chong albums and listened to them (laughs) and memorized what they were saying. And I never (laughs) smoked weed. I didn't get into smoking weed until my late 20s. Wow. Your late twenties, and then you were like, this is... <laughs> we're "Right, you're literally new, had long hair, and smoked weed, and it never, ha- it never occurred to me to do it." I, I, I think part of the problem is the drama club wasn't the spot for weed smoking. Sure, yeah. My, like these days, I'd imagine high school kids that are in the drama club are super into weed as well. But back yeah. then, we were kind of a more a squarer bunch. Like we were nerdier. You know, there wasn't. And nothing like Glee had come along to make people think that the drama and music nerds weren't just a bunch of spastic a holes. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, you know, the high school I went to had had its own the 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 classroom for the drama department was a theater with a stage and curtains and wings and everything like a complete wow theater was where we went to class every day, and we had a great teacher. And so I did four years. That's so cool. I did four years of drama. Like every year I just sign up again for the next year, which, you know, and most, most people would drop off because as, as yeah. the, you know, as the assignments get harder and harder, the people that signed up for drama because they thought it'd be easy. I mean, there's people who signed up for drama class. Like my freshman year, the, the teacher was like, you know, who wants to get up and uh, do something? And I'm like me. And everyone else is like scared, you know, like they're all nervous. <laughs> like I was like, I always would go first whenever we'd have, you know, yeah. assignments and stuff. Well, because that but, was way more fun than like having to learn science and math and like sit there and like, I, I was where, never. That's where I figured out that like every year they did a Christmas pageant. So I would always gun for the biggest part in the Christmas pageant because that was in the high school gym and they had rehearsals all day, every day in November to get ready for it. So you get taken out of class to go rehearse a stupid mm-hmm. show where I was either like Jesus or Santa or something. And then yeah. uh, I play, I think <laughs> one I, of the two, I, you know, you'll take over either. The years, I think I got both coveted roles because when I was a, a junior, <laughs> there was no Santa in the show, but there was by the time I was a senior. So I got, I think I got to play both Jesus and Santa. But, they should have really had a, they were like, this year's Christmas pageant, we've got Doug Benson. He's playing both the roles of Jesus and Santa. He's role. pulling, pulling really, an Eddie Murphy. <laughs> so similar anyway. They got so many things going on, starting with their facial hair. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, getting pulled out of class was great. Like, um, that, that all the other guys didn't seem interested in girls was great. Like, I was the guy in drama class that liked the girls and was, you know, flirting, you know, trying to, like I got to play uh, a straight man in the theater world is like oh, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's pretty. You know, you don't find to- that often, and when you do, you're the coolest guy around town. Yeah, well, that I don't know if "cool" is the right word for it, but the guy that the women could have sex with, maybe. Yes, uh, possibly. <laughs> and, uh, but like, it, you know, I, I never uh, hooked up with her because I was too shy. But uh, it was a very funny dynamic because I played Schroeder in your Good Man Charlie Brown. And the girl who played Lucy was like my number one crush at the school, a couple of years ahead of me, uh-huh. uh, you know. And uh, you know, I'm a, I think I was a sophomore and she was a senior and she was Lucy and she was great at it. But you know, <laughs> Lucy's in love with Schroeder and Schroeder's not in love with Lucy. 
So oh, it's no. a real bullshit dynamic that we had where, <laughs> where she would continue the I'm in love with you thing. Like she was real method about it, but just acting, it wasn't real. So, <laughs> so I just ended up playing my part, which is acting like I didn't like it. Oh no. <laughs> and, uh, but it was, um, yeah, that was, that, was, that was weird. But my point is that. just, we performed You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown with the actual scripts, with a, with a drama teacher that said, let's pick out other comic strips, let's pick out panels from Charlie Brown that we like and put those in the show instead of doing the ones that are in the show. You know, we kept all the songs, but we changed some of the comedy bits. And then we performed it in a theater at the school for two weeks. How cool Every is that? night, and, uh, the, by the, and the whole school, you know, not everybody, because some people, you know, some people were on the football team, but most of them would come to see it. So that's where I discovered early on that like, okay, if you can, you know, I wasn't a good singer or dancer, but I was funny in the show. So like, that's also where I discovered how important humor is and how yeah. like everyone else at the school didn't treat me like a complete pariah because at least whenever they saw me in a show, they would enjoy it. They still, they, that didn't get me, you know, complete respect, but you know, cause I was still, you know, goofy person. <laughs> It's okay. Yeah. So was I. <laughs> I did one year at Halloween. I did a full prosthetic glued to my head, cone head. Like it was. <laughs> I love cone head. A friend of mine was super into prosthetic makeup. So he uh -huh. really prosthetic makeup, the cone head onto my head. And I wore pajamas and I did the voice. And I, nice. really, I really committed to it. And then at lunch, some, somebody, some other kid ran over to me, grabbed it and tore it off of my head. What? Yeah. And it was attached it to was your attached. head. That's so fucked up. And it was very violent. <laughs> oh my God. I'm so funny. sorry. I mean, I remember it for much worse than it was. It probably just came a little loose or something, but it was still like that. And you're like, don't fuck my cone head that's up. That's how high school works. You, you, you show up, you, you, you try to act special and they will take you down the rest of oh, the students. <laughs> it's sad, but true. Yeah. Oh, I, can't, man. I can't imagine what hell school is going to be with uh, whether or not to wear masks. Uh, oh, right, I know. To rage on. It's, I don't even, I, I can't you imagine. imagine. You imagine no. being like bullies at school are the ones that don't wear the masks and they tell the teachers, Ugh. we're not gonna wear the masks and then like what happens? That's probably how shit's gonna happen. That I sucks. So. I, think, the, I think it's the meanest people are, are the ones that don't wanna wear the masks. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's unfortunate. There's gonna be like, up. Little bullies ripping masks off people's faces. Yeah, it's like the new wedgie. It's like, you know, you pull the wedgie out, you pull someone's mask. Yeah, and snap it back towards their face. Yeah, that's the total move is just snap. Yeah. Wait, so when did you, so what What happened one day you were like, I guess I'll try weed. Um, People seem to like it. Stand-up comedy, stand-up comedy. I blame- Like in green rooms and stuff, right? I blame two- comics specifically in a specific week. I did a week of comedy where uh, Brian Posehn was the opening act, I was the feature act, and Greg Proops was the headliner. Nice. Yeah, and uh, you know, was becoming friends with both of them prior to that. So we, we were even all excited that we were all getting to work together. And, uh, and so we, uh, you know, we'd smoke weed um, after every show. And then, 
then I was like kind of a weed mooch for like two or three years. I was the guy that only smokes when it's available, like when it's yeah. at a party. But then, then I just started becoming the guy where I go over to my friend's house and be like, hey, where's the weed? And never offer to contribute money, which seems like that would have been a real simple, <laughs> nice thing to do. So instead, I just, you know, quickly determined, oh, I've got to, I've just got to be commit to being a weed smoker and have my own weed. <laughs> <laughs> and not Got it. not just always be begging begging people for it. And then I uh, you know made some movies and television about being a big pot smoker. And uh, for a brief period of time, I could not get people. I, I could not say no to anyone offering me uh, free weed. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it was not it was not allowed. And I you know looking back on it, why would I? But uh, you yeah, know. why would you want to? Take all of the free weed that's offered, right? Oh my God, I did a show with Tommy Chong once while he was on probation and um, people in the audience just threw tons of weed at him and uh, he, you know, he walked off stage without touching any of it and me and the wow. other kids that were on the show just immediately were just crawling around the stage picking up all this weed. <laughs> that's amazing like, he's like a like, weed idol they're just like paying yeah. like respect yeah. yeah what we were like strippers after a two-song set picking up all the cash <laughs> like <laughs> gathering it all over the it stage was it was weed yeah that's so funny yeah but then so then you were just like cool i smoke i have weed i'm gonna just like make a bunch of projects about i mean like because it it just it took off my, for you it just became part of my stand-up and then eventually it became part of like I, I started to realize that like, oh, I should talk about how, like when I'm on stage, I should just say, I am high. I, I shouldn't be one of the millions of comedians who's, you know, uh, high on stage and try, trying to keep the audience from noticing. And, mm -hmm. and lots of them are great at it. And I've certainly gotten a lot better at it. I guess I could do, now just people just assume I'm high. So I might as well be high, you know? And that, right. that's, that's where I'm at, but. But yeah, for a it's like while. Like method it, acting. <laughs> You're but, a method comedian, comedian doing comedy. But that's the that's the, the the strangest part about being openly high and doing stand up is that there's the audience wants someone they can trust that's sharp and confident and fast. And mm -hmm. like so, once you go, hey, I'm stone. So you know, I, I would get laughs whenever I would screw something up you know, uh, which is fun to get that extra laugh from that. But there's always that danger of, especially when you play a crowd that's not, you know, your crowd, like you're just doing a one night or somewhere and right. people that go to that bar for the one night or every week and they don't know you, uh, you know, it's, uh, for, there were times when like, you know, I would have a bad set or not as good a set as I'd hope. Or, or even just psychologically, I'd be like, oh, these people think I'm too high to be funny, so they're going to not laugh to make that yeah. point. <laughs> and uh, so then you get real, you know, the paranoia is never, has not been as big for me as it is for most pot smokers. That's why a lot of comedians that smoke pot just wait till after they're set. Right. Because paranoia is a, it's not a great thing to be feeling while you're in, in front of an audience. Yeah, because it's almost like they, they're like, they... They're gonna not. They're gonna like judge and test you. I feel that like if you're like if someone's too drunk too when they get up and they have a drink and they're like chugging a beer and then they do their set, audience members immediately I feel like are like, oh, there's no way. Yeah, 
it, no, it's, it's got to be I'm a professional party or I can handle this. This is part of the, the bit, you know, like a, mm-hmm. you know, like the drinking of like a Doug Stanhope or a Burt Kreischer. So, so I just sort of took it there, but I've also gotten to the point where I, you know, I could do, I could do a set high and not, you know, not seem so obliterated that I can't think of the next joke, but I do have those moments where I can't, you know, where that does happen. And yeah. hopefully I'm witty enough and sharp enough to, to get through it. But one time, one time I was doing a show in Grand, Rip- Grand Rapids, <laughs> that was called Grand Rapids, uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan, at Dr. Grins, and um, a lady went up to the guy, the, the manager of the club, who was this pretty slick manager guy, you know, he, he looked almost like a comic because he had the thin tie all the time, and the uh-huh. jacket with the sleeves you push up, and, uh, and a lady went up to him and uh, just during my set was just like, that man on stage is on drugs. He is high. He needs help. He, people are laughing. <laughs> and, 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 you know, that rarely, at least that I've been told, that rarely happens. But, oh boy, she really, really was, like, very upset about that. And then wow. he, and he was just like, hey, he's putting on a good show. Don't you think? Uh, don't worry about it. You know? <laughs> Something's wrong. They're laughing. Yeah. Come complain to me when the show isn't good, you know, or whatever. She thought she was going to jazz night or something, right? She's really lost. <laughs> I mean, jazz oh. night, there's going to be a lot of weed at jazz night, too. I guess. Yeah, there probably will be. A lot of jazz cigarettes. Well, that's yeah. jazz and weed go hand in hand because of the, just the systemic racism and, you know, and holding out weed as, like, you know, the, the drug of the people of color. And the you know, Latinx people who know you know like it's crazy yeah. how, like that's a thing that I come more and more to terms with after year after year of being a white guy who's rarely worried about getting thrown in jail for smoking pot and does mm-hmm. it you know pretty openly on camera and stuff. Like I just get more and more of that sad feeling about how. How can anybody, how could a black man in prison see me doing that now and not right? Be, what the hell is happening? It's Why insane. That, yeah. you know, like anytime somebody says they don't, you know, that, that white privilege isn't real. I'm just like, well, it is for me because I got away with, I, and continue to get away with a federally legal activity. Yeah. People like, don't get white privilege. Like some, the people who say that don't understand that it's like a spectrum and it's just like, it can just be an image of you on camera smoking weed and no one's going to say shit to you. Yeah. And- well, I mean, and I, you know, I'm happy that I've been able to include uh, all races and genders and uh, sexual orientations in, you know, my, my weed smoking show, you know, because, uh, you know, because weed is universal it's and universal. And also <laughs> people need to just get used to the fact that there's all these <laughs> other, uh, you know, I, it's just old people, <laughs> old people man and that, that woman's <laughs> that woman from that club she's still following your career she's oh saying her husband oh he is like, on drugs still still isn't working out for that guy <laughs> he's really made a horrible mistake but that's the thing is that it, you know her concern was it wasn't completely invalid you know like like i had a friend in, when i was in school who smoked a lot of weed and then uh you know, but I wasn't particularly aware of it because I wasn't smoking with him and wasn't smoking at the time. And then 
you know, hasn't, things haven't worked out great for him. And so at one point, like, uh, his mother reached out to me through social media. This might have been, like, MySpace. And um, she was like, you know, he's having a really hard time, and uh, I think it's because of the pot. And, you know, and there's some truth to that, that, like, people, you know, it is a drug that makes you, you know, it can lead to laziness and, uh, you know, wanting to just, you know, Mm. sit on the couch or whatever but I also find that it can be inspirational and it can be like from in my case I like to do it before I'm doing things where I'm actually going out and doing something I'm not doing it to stay home I'm doing it to well now I'm doing it at home obviously but you know to go (laughs) out you know Um, so I feel like there's also well that person also has a level of uh, just natural you know what I mean? Like there. Yeah, not everyone can handle. Everyone handles it differently. Yeah, and maybe you know, and maybe, and of course, I didn't say this at the time, but maybe he needed, you know, to be, you know, any of these like, depression drugs that are so yeah. popular now might have been the answer for for him at that time, and might have been what he's done since, you know, because I haven't. I, it was somebody that I wasn't really in touch with, and so that was also a strange part about it. Is I didn't feel like I was an influence, right? But I also didn't feel like I was the person to turn to to say. Oh, I should tell him that he should stop smoking pot. That yeah, I I can't say that to people. No, maybe it reminded me of. Sorry, go ahead, Ellen. I was gonna say maybe he just like needed some mushrooms. <laughs> he needed Instead to go harder. Of- well, that's also See? the other thing is changing it up because, like, I've even though I'm having a drink now and I do enjoy alcohol still, I've cut back severely on alcohol. Like when I'm in a comedy club, I don't I don't drink. Because that was what I used to do is just drink the entire time I'm there. So that's 12 drinks over the course of, uh, you know, the time that I spend at the club. And they keep, you know, they're very nice. They keep giving you new ones for free. So, or audience members keep buying them for you. So I got really in the habit of just drinking the whole time. Even though I was drinking drinks that I didn't even find that tasty. So now I just drink a little, but only stuff that I think is delicious. You know, that's good. Vodka soda is not delicious enough to drink it all the time. No, I like margaritas. I'm like that. I only drink when it's like a cocktail or something I really like, or if it's nice wine, but I don't just like yeah. drink to- And then you don't to... have a lot of it. You have yeah. it because it tasted good, not because you're trying to get drunk. Yeah, yeah. You know? And so that's that's been my thing is that I found that lim- limited alcohol and then just tons of weed and then nothing else. I'm not doing, I haven't, I've never- the whole gateway thing is with out with marijuana is crazy yeah. to me because it's uh you know I, I have no interest in stronger drugs than that i, I know plenty of i have so many friends i mean even my dad told me my dad's sober now i should say that but he did tell me that he smoked weed every single day of of my life that i've been alive until wow he got, until he got sober but like he was functioning he went to work he went out he did think like he wasn't like at home like they i feel like they always teach you when you're young like oh yeah once you start smoking weed at home like you're gonna be like i need to get into the harder pills and drugs and like do nothing but do drugs and it's like no plenty of people live their life every day they're high and that's no, weed's like. really nice. Weed's super nice. And especially like, I, you know, I don't have kids and it's, so it's never going to be a concern for me. But, you know, a lot of people when they have kids don't want to be high around their kids because they think it's going to, you know, endanger them. But I mean, unless you're like smoking the strongest stuff, if you're a daily <laughs> smoker, you can be with your child and be 
<laughs> and have smoked. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, it happened. Apparently it was every day of my life and I have going on. And fond he's... memories of my dad. <laughs> you know, he came well, to the school plays. That's how he through that stuff. He got through that stuff by being high. It made I it do more, remember more he would come to visiting day at camp though. I do remember this and I went to camp in Maine. So, you know, he probably had better, better stuff for then. And every year at camp, he'd be like, it's time for my annual nap. Uh, at camp and like everyone would be with their parents and my mom was very active and my dad would just sleep for like two hours and then be like all right i'm good i'm good to go <laughs> we're like oh right that was probably he was a little too high and just yeah. needed a you know needed take a nap lay it down for a minute yeah i get it well we're almost out of time but this was so fun to learn about your employment history and you know especially your theater history i was really hoping we would talk about being a theater nerd as a kid that was <laughs> That was a great moment for me. Um, well, that, was another, I, that was another thing about um, when I was unemployed, uh, uh, you know, when I was doing extra work is that mm -hmm. you could file for unemployment. You, you know, if I did enough extra jobs, I was still getting paid through payroll companies and stuff. So I could file for unemployment. And then the game became each week I would call up the extra casting agencies and see what kind of work there was to be had. And mm -hmm. if there was, you know, and if it was looking like a dry week or, or actually it worked the other way around. If I went a week without doing any extra work, then I just, I'd apply for my uh, unemployment check for that week. And so I would just, I would basically just keep going on and off unemployment while also, you know, trying to break into show business. That's a pretty solid deal that you, you really, you figured out a nice little system there. It worked out for a while, but you know, as people who have used unemployment insurance know it, you know, it runs out. So that's what would work sure. is that I would have weeks where I would make money so that what the money that's in your, you know, the amount that they've decided to give you, they just, they just keep spreading it out. So I made it last longer. Yeah. But once I got to the end of it, then I had to get, I wouldn't be able to get unemployment again until I got a real job that, you know, really lasted a while. So, yeah. So I, I lucked out. A lot of people are, we're all in that boat right now. I mean, yeah. I mean, we're, so many of us are in that. It sucks. Now. I mean, I didn't have any jobs to get fired from when the pandemic happened. I, I just, you know, every gig is just, you do the gig and you get paid for it. So like, I, I can't file for unemployment. Uh, so. But you can as a, as a, what's it called? Um, oh yeah. Freelancers. Can... As a freelancer now for the pandemic unemployment uh, insurance, they allowed independent contractors yeah. to then apply. To, contractors but, but also is it but wouldn't my yearly salary get in the way once don't you have to have a no. yearly salary that's not uh what because i don't know i know people with thousand dollars a year i know people who ha who have if you have like an llc or something i'm gonna teach jug's gonna file for unemployment right after this no but it's it, you, maybe that's it maybe being incorporated you can't file for unemployment you couldn't but until the pandemic then they opened it up to even I if see. you have I see. Well, I, you know, that's the thing is as much as I am panicked about the long-term future, uh, short-term, I, I, I feel like, do you feel like that money just sits somewhere if I don't ask for it or that it would be used elsewhere or wouldn't exist? <laughs> that's a great question. <laughs> I don't. Cause that's what I used to argue when I was doing unemployment, when I was young and signing up for it all the time, I was like, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not living off the dole or whatever. I am, you know, taking what that, that money would be there for me, whether I take it or not. Right. Is what I, I don't know. That's what I would, you know, that was my argument that I made up. 
I feel like that's a good way to look at it, right? Because like you're basically paying for these benefits through taxes, yeah. right? Yeah, you're yeah. Really so, paying for your taxes and it's there. So since they're saying you can have some of it, why not take some of it? If they said you could take more than your share, like you could take a ridiculous amount, well, then that would be, you know, then you should feel bad about that. But yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyway, I'm, I'm still probably not going to pursue it, but thank you for. <laughs> Thank you. That's okay. That, that don't, I mean, more for me, huh? No. <laughs> I may, yeah. Or maybe I should, you know, get the check and then give it to someone or something. I, I'll, th you know, you've given yeah. me something to think about. There's a lot of places to donate these days. You yeah, know? there sure is. I've even donated. I've gotten my check from unemployment and then I'm like, oh, I should, I can give, you know, 50, a hundred dollars here and there. And like, I feel like, I don't know, I, we're living through a weird time right now and everyone needs it. It's, it's insane. How many, I want to know how many gigs did you have like lined up when the pandemic hit that you were like, I kept seeing you tweet like, Oh, I maybe I'll, them. maybe I'll be here. Maybe, <laughs> I maybe have, won't. I still have five cities that are thinking I might show up there sometime between now and uh, November. Would you do an outdoor Doug Loves Movies show? Mm. Have you thought about doing that or it's just, we did a Douglas movies like socially distanced where we sat really far apart from each other and didn't have an audience, but that was like in the very early days. Mm -hmm. Or I mean, the Zoom thing really changed the game. Like I want to do shows on Zoom when the if the pandemic ends, I'd still want to do shows this way. <laughs> I always say that in my opening line if I do a stand-up show, I'm like, thanks for having me from the comfort of my own couch. This is a, an amazing time right yeah. like I, I it, but it's just uh, you can like every time I go to a town to do stand-up I get you know messages from people saying you should come to this town you should come to where I am how come you never come here and you know I know it's not the same it's not in person but with a lot of stand-up shows you don't even meet the comic they just leave or whatever I, I like yeah. to do meet and greets but you know am I going to do them now probably not so like <laughs> what's the difference I mean I feel like this is, I can do stand up, you know, I can entertain you with fresh jokes, uh, no matter where you are in the world. Yeah. You could see me do my latest jokes, and that'll be on October 3rd at 420 uh, <laughs> Pacific time. It's true, I'm doing my first stand up comedy uh, at home special, uh, or I should say, headliner set. Um, you know, it's not, I, I, I don't know if it's gonna be special enough to share with anybody beyond the people who. Uh, tickets are going to be like $15 to come to the show. And then also I'm going to stay afterwards and meet everybody. That's awesome. I'm in. So, That's great. Oh, you're going to come? I'm coming to the show. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, Ellen's I, coming too. I hope by then that you both have uh, other things to do. But uh, <laughs> if you're free, uh, please do. Uh, you come uh, to my Wednesday night show every, ne every Wednesday. I mean, granted, you can win money from it. So I guess that you know that's yes. incentive well i love i love that you're there uh that you're there every wednesday i also love that the app uh, still ha i still have many um uh free spins or what's mm. it called uh yeah uh, super, spins. super spins i don't i don't super spins i don't know if you'll ever get to use them <laughs> that's what i mean i've got super spins for a game that might not ever come back but I still I take a lot of comfort in seeing them every day that I am. Fingers crossed. And you I'm know, I get DMs every day asking when's words coming back. And, you know, I just say fingers crossed. That's all I can say. Um, but before we go, Ellen came up with a funny thing. We wanted to ask you, because you are the movie expert here. Um, if you had 
you know, like a top five or I don't know, top three recommendations of movies about either employment or getting fired that you like, that you can think of? Well, you know, you know, Office Space is the uh, Citizen Kane of that. Of that, yeah, of course. It's well, always number one on like movie lists about work. <laughs> yeah, um, like if you want to see one about somebody that's probably, I mean, it's always, movies tend to like, the happy ending is they get work again. <laughs> like, you know, the happy ending <laughs> I don't is, know about is it that you stay unemployed in a pandemic for the rest of your life. I know. I was like, I don't know how uplifting they are right yeah. now. <laughs> so I, don't, I don't know. It's like, it's like people say, you know, that they like watching Idiocracy right now. And I'm like, what? Isn't that a little too scary that we're not really that far from what's yeah. happening in that movie that was supposed to be? Just a scary joke. That's where you're supposed to say, no, you should really check out Palm Springs. <laughs> right. Well, that's the thing about Palm Springs that I think is um, giving it a lot of extra. Like for me, I feel like it's the number one contender for best picture of the year for the Oscars. Palm Springs? Yeah. I really liked it. Because it's I... fun, but it's also very heavy and has a lot of ideas in there. Yeah. You know, similarly, uh, not unlike Rick and Morty, <laughs> um, which is not nominated for Emmys. So I think I think Palm Springs is the movie to beat. But I don't I don't. That's not a quitting uh, your job. No, so I'm going to go with um, the Albert Brooks classic uh, coming to America or no, uh, not coming to America. That's Eddie Murphy. Um, <laughs> Lost in America. Lost in America. Lost in America is Albert Brooks and his and his wife Julie Haggerty uh, decide to just, you know. I love her. Quit, he quits his job and they just decide to put all their money into a RV and then just start driving and see what happens. Nice, and, uh, Ellen. Are you writing these down, Ellen? Because we have to watch them. I'll, I'll write that one down. I've seen it, but I will definitely watch it again because I love an Albert Brooks. It's so movie. funny. It has it's one the of the best. best there's a scene with Albert Brooks and, and Gary Marshall. It's one of the best comedy scenes of all time uh, where Gary Marshall is the, uh, he runs the casino where Albert Brooks loses some money and he decides if I talk to the guy who runs the casino, maybe I can get some of that money back. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's how it works. It's who you know. Mm -hmm. so it's such a funny <laughs> conversation because Gary Marshall is just shutting him down at every turn. Like there's no, no way you're going to convince me to give me your money back. Right. And, um, so there's, that's not how casinos work. And um, okay, so there's Office Space, then Lost in America, and then the third, Quit My Job. I quit my job and you can shove it. Because there was that movie, uh, take, take This Job and Shove It, but it's, you know, it's, the soundtrack is all country songs. Take this job and shove it. You know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> So you I sure that that's a Tiger King's doing a reboot of that song? Yeah, <laughs> You're gonna do that. I can't recommend that one. Uh, wow, this was a, this was a puzzler. Do you do either of you know any movies where uh, that are good yes. where, that are involve a firing? Yes, Ellen has a whole list. Oh, I was oh, doing well, some. Well, I was doing some research earlier, yeah. and the oh, big okay. one, I guess. I mean, you're, when you hear this, you're gonna be like, "Of course, Fight Club." Sure what? Jerry Maguire, yes. Jerry Maguire is on the list. Yeah. But also Fight Club, Fight Club is yeah, probably. Yeah. Well, I'm not supposed to talk about Fight Club. That's why I didn't say it. But oh. Uh, oh. I didn't that. oh wait, that's the rule. Uh, Fight Club. But that other one we could talk about. And um uh what one was it? You said Jerry Maguire. Yeah, Jerry Maguire was on the list. Yeah, but he like doesn't 
Are, does he leave because of downsizing or does he quit because he thinks he can go start his own agency? I forget. Yeah, I, know I forget he, too. He tries to get everybody to leave with him. So I'm not sure if it's because he's fired or because he decided, crazily decided to quit. But I'm uh, going to, I think he was I like pushed remember. out of the company, but I haven't seen that movie in years. So that yeah, I think, well, yeah, that's it. Maybe it's he was being pushed out and he decided to just jump. Like yeah. he decided to just be like, well, forget this. I mean, his his histrionics and his speech and everything, it, when he's leaving that job and he convinces Renee Zellweger to go with him, it is it is so pathetic. But he's a movie star playing the role, so it's it's so. I mean, you know, we got to see it later on with the jumping on the couch at Oprah and stuff. But like, yeah. he's insane. <laughs> Yes, of course. That Jerry Maguire character is not, he's not a real flesh and blood human being. What is it? Being. You had me at hello. All that, those <laughs> things, like every one of those, that scene has two lines that are that memorable. Like mm-hmm. if you have that memorable line, hey, relax, put put the other line in another scene. Uh, right? Really nice. You complete me and you had me at hello or in the same conversation. <laughs> yeah, they 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 didn't they were like oh yeah just just hammer it in give him like these beautiful people with the you know the most simple lines of the film <laughs> i love it wait do you want to hear what else was on the list that ellen found oh uh, well, yes please one other one that i've seen which is really good is um falling down have you seen this oh, yeah. one the, the michael uh douglas uh yeah movie? what does it say on his license plate what's his personalized plate say um, uh, of like something. a car that he steals or is it no it's just his car but it's like the license plate is one of you know back when uh personal plates gave away way too much like they were <laughs> supposed to be real important characters oh. it says uh defense defense yeah because <laughs> he works for the defense department right. and he ends up having to defend himself for his actions when he decides to mm. start a hostage situation. <laughs> See, now, yeah. I think we're finding movies, we're finding that movies where people quit or were fired do not, it does not go well for them. No. no. I mean, falling down is basically like Michael Douglas gets fired and then he like goes on a rampage like while he's like trying to make it to his little like daughter's birthday party. It's I love how before this you were like, yeah, but then it's happy in the ending and they find a job. They find love or something else, but I don't know that they find the job. Okay. No, I think Michael Douglas finds a bullet at the end of that one or he gets arrested, but I think he just gets shot. Mm. Spoiler. Spoiler alert. We'll it's too, um, intense. Somebody said to me, you should watch that movie during during this and I was like, that's too much. I can't, I don't really mm. feel- I don't like when people recommend me to watch something during, because it's a pandemic or like yeah. during quarantine. I'm like, I'm gonna watch anything anyway, like yeah. whether or not I'm allowed to leave my house. So, <laughs> and right now it's, uh, right now it's Love on the Spectrum, best show on Netflix. People are oh saying such good things about it. I feel like I'm just gonna sit and sob openly watching. No, it's so good. And they got really charismatic, like funny people. It's very, it's uplifting. It's really yeah. like- No, I saw I somebody, it. some woman I know that I respect tweeted that like, uh, you know, two of the guys that are on there, she's like, if they don't get dates, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be so upset. <laughs> yeah, oh my God. And they get the nicest, oh, the nicest guy in the whole, like everyone's falling in love with the one guy yeah. who's just like, brings flowers on the first day. Oh my God, they're, and I mean, I, I wanted to watch it. My boyfriend was like, I don't, I don't wanna watch this. You know, he was like, I don't know what this is. And then I put it on, he goes, 
are they Australian? I'm in. Because <laughs> <laughs> they do, they all have beautiful accents. It's really fun. Oh man, I didn't know that. I didn't know. Yeah. Down under. They're, they're Australian and British. Some are British. Uh, no one's American on this yeah. show. I know that. But the girl when he shows up with flowers, you call those flowers. These are flowers. Pulls out really big ones. <laughs> She's like, oh, it smells nice. <laughs> oh, um, any other movies? Should we um, end on that? This was so much fun, Doug. This was so great. Oh well, I, I, I you know, thanks for being here. I had so many other things to do right now, and I'm yeah. glad I chose this. Thank you. I am too. Um, made the I best want choice. <laughs> Where can everyone find you? You have so many things all to plug. All my things. They can all your things. Just Google my name. Uh, DougLovesMovies.com is uh, where those tour dates I mentioned earlier that may or may not happen, uh, they're there with, with links <laughs> for tickets. That's how we plug nowadays. I've got these shows that may or may not happen. Yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe the club will move outside. Maybe, yeah. Maybe the club will relocate so it's I don't have to fly there because that's that's my biggest concern I mean I'm not crazy about being in a tiny packed stand-up club with people all you know laughing yeah and spewing um but uh planes I just can't I can't get into the idea of flying places yeah it's an enclosed space for a while it feels like it endangers me and everyone else because I don't know what I've got or not got and they don't know yeah. what they've got or not got. And like, I've heard stories where people mid-flight just take their masks off and flight attendants aren't, aren't police. They're not gonna, they, you know, there's only so much yeah. to do to get people to put their masks back on. Yeah, it's it's scary. Yeah, so I don't know, but, uh, you know, maybe, maybe closer to home. I've got a show in San Diego in November on the book. So maybe that will happen because I can just drive there from LA. Yeah, that's easier. Yeah, so. There's that. But in the meantime, yeah. Podcasts. I got lots of podcasts. Uh, like you said, uh, Wide World of Dugs. I was going to uh, say the Worldwide of Dugs. Yes. No. And, uh, <laughs> and my weed show has a Patreon now. My weed show is exclusively on Patreon. So if you go to patreon.com slash getting Doug, for $4.20 a month, you get at least four new episodes a month and bonus material. And no one nice. else is getting it. We're not. So far, we're not putting it anywhere else. It's just exclusive to the people who join. I love that. Because you get that a lot. I noticed that even from the podcast I did with you, people are always like, when is getting Doug with High back? When is it back? And it's yeah. back. You just it, got to. It's back, but it's in such part a. Of the club. It's in such a low key form that I, we feel like we're just, you know, that's something to give the. Because we didn't do any shows at all for months. and But we had a Patreon when we were, when we were a production that needed help you know, staying on the air. And then, yeah. and so then when, when production shut down, uh, lots of people stayed with us on Patreon and kept paying that money. So I feel like they're the first ones that deserve the people. Obviously people want free shows again, and I'd be happy to give them to them. And I'm doing lots of shows that are free, but in the case of getting Doug with high, it's currently now just for the people who stayed with us and kept contributing money, uh, just as a, you know, an appreciation for them. That's cool. That's nice. I like that. And it's such a funny show. So don't miss out on it. Um, yeah. Doug, thanks again for being here. You're the Thank best. You. I hope you had f as much fun as we did. I laughed so hard. Oh, uh, 
And guys, that's it. That's another episode of Unemployed with me, Anna Roisman. Uh, you know, you can also follow me at Anna Roisman or follow the podcast at Unemployed PDCST. You know, it's a it's a good podcast to listen to while you don't have a job, which is a lot of us right now. Uh, Ellen, they can follow you too, right? Um, yeah. Maybe not. If you can find me, you can. If you can me, find you her, can find she me. like. That's it. That's it. Uh, Cool. We'll end on that. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Listen to the other episodes. Bye. This was Unemployed with Anna Roisman. And just so you know, hey, we're on Patreon. I want to give a shout out to our special patrons who I love, who I appreciate. Big shout out to Chris, Jordan, Oscar, Ken, Blue Jay, Vic, Scott, and Jonathan Uh, You guys are the best. Thank you so much. And if you want to join the Patreon, you could join as little as $5 a month. You know, it's nothing, but it helps us so much. And, you know, we want to keep making these episodes for you. Plus, you get some exclusive content. So please check it out.